The Start On Demand. On demand. More restaurants closing in Winnipeg. On Friday, we learned that Hermano's is closing in the Exchange District and Stella's is closing its location in Osborne Village. We'll speak with the owner of Hermano's and we'll speak with the executive director of the Manitoba Restaurant and Food Services Association who says the situation is not looking good for many more restaurants. Many cities around the world are quickly expanding their cycling infrastructure in response to the pandemic. Should Winnipeg do the same? An incredibly busy weekend for Winnipeg police with 14 gun calls in 24 hours. And I'm sitting on my balcony over the weekend and I noticed that the trees down in our courtyard had suddenly sprung to life and with beautiful flowers. What's your favorite part of spring? I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb and this is the Monday, May 25th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb on a Monday. Good morning to you, Greg. Good morning, Brett. How was your weekend? Weekend was spectacular. And I should point out as well, a major victory was achieved for me over the weekend. For the Tell fir- us. The first time in two months since the pandemic began, essentially, uh, I made it to bed without passing out on my couch on Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. Three nights in a row? Three nights in a row on a weekend. What a rebel, eh, Loren? (laughs) Yeah. This Something is, like that. It, it's it, this is my life. This is this is what's considered a victory that I didn't fall asleep on my couch and wake up at like four in the morning and stay up until seven and then go back to bed until ten or eleven. I almost fell asleep, Loren, at one a.m. Saturday, and then I jumped up in a start and said, "Nope, don't fall asleep on the couch. Just go to bed." So that's I went impressive. to bed. Maybe that's the start of, the, of a new thing for you if you can just get you know like you know. There's nothing wrong with sleeping on your couch if that's where you have your best sleep. Lots of people end up doing that. It's just that you're not having your best sleep. So get off that couch. Yeah, I think, it, I think too, it's just the fact that the weather is turning or getting better. I actually had plans on Saturday. I went golfing Saturday morning out in LaSalle. And, uh, and then Sunday, I just, because I made it to bed at a half, de- a decent time for me is 1 a.m. on a weekend. Got up at 8, went for a walk. And uh, and then I ended up learning lots about trees that I didn't know. I thought that the, these trees outside my apartment building were cherry blossoms. And then when I put mm-hmm. them on social media, I learned, nope, that's an ornamental crab tree. I didn't even know that was the thing, an ornamental crab tree. Whatever it is, it's pretty. So, yeah. I've got I actually, one right yeah. across the, the fence from me, and I actually learned that from your Twitter account. I thought it was maybe it was a lilac or something like that. And then I was following your 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 tweets, your beautiful pictures, by the way. Instagram. And Gary. Instagram. Or Instagram. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought you put them on the Twitter machine too. Uh, you know, too many, too many platforms to keep up with. <laughs> Bottom line is you taught me what was what's in my neighbor's yard that hangs over my fence that I absolutely love. So thanks for that. Yeah, and I just I didn't realize like it it just seemed to spring up over the weekend, Loren. Did you notice anything this weekend that wasn't there on Thursday or Friday? Well, we thought we had two bushes in the backyard, these mm, cherry shrubs. I'm not sure their actual name. And I thought they were dead, that we're going to have to dig them out because I haven't seen sign of life on them since the snow melted. And then sure enough, uh, on Saturday, little green buds were showing. We actually ended up uh, 
picking up some trees this weekend and planting them. I have no idea what I'm doing on that front. So we're just standing there like in the nursery, just looking at these things like, you want an apple tree? I don't know. How big, is, big does that get? How about this maple? How quick does that go? Is that fast? Where does this, how big does this get? And you're just standing there like, the next thing you know, you're just shoving four trees in the back of the car, just hoping that they like make it through the summer. So yeah, that was our weekend. And I think a lot of people were kind of doing some of that sprucing up stuff in their yard or going for walks or noticing things as long as I, I'm hopeful I, I don't live in the city so Brett you tell me I'm hopeful we weren't behaving like some of the photos I've seen out of the states or even Toronto with people flocking to parks and beaches and cramming into pools and all sorts of things did you feel like people were still doing the right thing despite the weather from what I could see yeah I mean and there's a headline too from what I can see at uh, cjob.com Winnipeg Park's busy but not unruly. I didn't get to a city park, but uh, I know just walking around, there were a lot of people outside walking around, but everybody still seemed to be orderly and uh, keeping their distance. Uh, even on the, the patio at the golf course, everybody was sort of spread out. And I went to a patio Saturday afternoon and everybody, in the, which was very well spaced out. So I didn't feel any, uh, any concern there. So uh, I'm not seeing anything. Greg, what about you? Well, as long as you're not at that pool party at Lake of the Ozarks in oh Missouri, I don't know how many of you saw that video online. Holy man, that looks like spring break in Florida with zero concern for what's going on. It's like these people uh, woke up and, and saw that it was Memorial Day weekend with zero concern for what's been going on around the world since January. So uh, that was obviously startle, startling. But yeah, I, I'm noticing people pretty respectful, but I had my my first interaction with people not being respectful yesterday at the Home Depot I went to go to the gardening center and they've got a roped off area for you to line up in and everybody was lined up nicely and you've got your cart and your spacing is uh, everybody's very very considerate until some people weren't happy with how quickly the line was moving. It was like being at the A on a Thursday night back in 1993. <laughs> uh, three people left. How come you haven't let anybody in yet? I know how to count. Doing my job. I've got the little clicker here. You'll get in when you get in. But people were getting frustrated that there were so many people leaving in their opinion and not enough people going into the garden center. And then they were drawing the correlation between how many people were going into the main store versus how many people were getting into the garden center. And I was super uncomfortable. I didn't say anything. I wanted to speak up. But when I went in, I said to the uh, gentleman who was doing his job and I thought doing his job very well, I said, I, I, I really can't believe people are giving you a hard time for your math skills and your observation skills. So, uh, yeah, that's the only thing that I've seen to this point that's really bothered me. So I, I would consider myself lucky to this point. Greg, are you stretching right now? What are you doing? Sounds like you're, you're uh, putting your back out. <laughs> I was stretching. You could hear that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. I need to distract you there. Got to keep moving. Adam Bighill pulled a dump truck, so hopefully he stretched it out before he did that. That video is on. Uh, we've linked it to our 680CJOB Instagram story. And in our next segment, what's your favorite part of spring? Let us know at 204-780-6868. But right now... We want to ask the question, have you seen any of these videos floating around social media where people wanting to shop in a grocery store are refusing to wear a mask, even though it is now a policy of that, for, of that store for customers to do so? 
Yeah, I've seen them. And uh, three of the videos that jump out to me, Brett, I have to say a tip of the hat to the staff on the other side of the camera who were so patient in explaining the policy of the store and keeping things reasonable. And in at least two of the cases, the videos were actually being filmed by the individual being refused service. So I guess they're trying to make some sort of point here. Now, I've not seen video from a store in Canada. Here's some audio from a Costco store in Colorado. And once again, interesting to note that the person taking the video is the person who's in violation of the store rule to be wearing a mask. I just put you on my 3,000 follower Instagram feed, mostly local. Hi everyone, I work for Costco and I'm asking this member to put on a mask because that is our company policy. So either wear the mask And or... I'm not doing it because I woke up in a free country. Have a great day. So you're going to take this car from me? Sir, have a great Pull day. Stuff. You are no longer welcome here in our warehouse. You need to leave. Thank you very here, much. you put it on. I'll give you my card. He's going to take the card away because he's a there he is, walking away with all my stuff. There he goes. My favorite part of that, Greg, is the uh, the threat. The oh, I'm going to put this up on my 3,000 mm -hmm. followers. It's massive, 3,000 followers. It's going to bring Costco to its knees. <laughs> yeah, and Tyson just says, "Go ahead." Tyson is the name of the manager at, Co at Costco. And by the way, buddy, shooting the video, it's not your stuff until you pay for it. So it's actually Costco stuff and they are refusing a service and they've made that move. So as we move through the next phase of this pandemic and also the next phase of reopening the economy, we're going to be heading back to work with new rules and structure. Schools have been sending out emails talking about what the month of June will look like for teachers and students. And we are also encountering new rules and protocols for entering commercial establishments, including lineups, which have been in place for weeks now. And perhaps, Loren, we may see more rules here in Canada for needing a mask to enter certain stores. Yeah, it turns out Costco in Canada is actually requesting that customers wear masks. Request in some stores with stores in BC actually making that mandatory. It's actually a condition for you to enter those warehouses in BC. And they have a message about mass usage on their website. You can go read that yourselves if you want. It may be confusing to some, but it does have a lot of people asking the question this morning, can you legally force me to wear a mask? Paul Walsh is a Winnipeg lawyer and he joined Clay Young yesterday morning. And the question was asked, is it as simple as adding mask to the list of no shirt, no shoes, no service? Well, it all depends where you are, so it seems. But uh, to do a little bit of research, just so I could uh, maintain my credentials as an expert, I went back to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms to see exactly what our rights and freedoms are. And the fundamental freedoms, both in Canada and in the United States, are one, freedom of religion, two, freedom of speech, three, peaceful assembly, and uh, for association. So those are our basic rights. And there is no right that gives anyone uh, entitlement to pass along germs or microbes or anything of the sort. So the answer to your question, the direct answer is, uh, in Canada, you can turn people away if they don't wear masks and you're not only don't have to worry about being prosecuted, uh, the person who doesn't wear a mask 
can be prosecuted for passing on an illness which is tantamount to an assault. So just because someone's forcing you to do something you don't like doesn't mean that's infringing on your rights. That's the bottom line. You might not like it, but you still have to do it or you can go somewhere else. And so we want to know this morning, what are you seeing as you've gone to your first patio, maybe, or shopped in a grocery store for the first time? And in weeks, Greg, you mentioned your experience in Home Depot recently. Yeah, uh, just yesterday. And uh, I don't need to repeat the entire story. I was waiting in line and I was always wondering, why do Americans say waiting online? But anyway, that's a debate for another day. Just this whole idea that people are getting frustrated because for every person that left the garden center, one should be going in, much like our nightclub experiences of days gone by. And people were actually getting visibly frustrated, verbally frustrated with the individual tasked with keeping count of who was going in and going out. And it was really bothersome to me that here you are on a Sunday. It was a, you know, it wasn't a gorgeous sunny day. It was beautiful though, nice and warm. You're standing in line at the garden center. You know, there should be some tranquility about that, that idea that in the middle of a pandemic that we're able to do this without any cause for concern, yet some people, I guess, seem to get their ire up no matter what they want to find reasons to complain. And it really bothered me. I should have spoken up and I'm kind of upset with myself that I didn't uh, say something, but that would have just caused a bigger problem, I suspect. I just, I don't understand why people have to uh, push the boundaries all the time. Why, why can't you just accept, Brett, that they, this guy's doing his job. He's doing the best he can. Yeah, I saw I saw some of that when grocery stores first implemented the the lineups because it was that week was particularly cold. I think it had warmed up a little bit and then it cooled off again and it was a cold and windy day. I was standing in line at Safeway and a couple of people were grumbling and and uh the clerk at the front who was sort of the gatekeeper had said that she had to stop a couple of fights because people were fighting with each other in line. So it took a few days for for that stuff to become orderly. And and I guess now that it's been, uh, I don't know, a month since we've been standing in line, people are starting to get fed up and frustrated. So you can cast your vote at cjob.com on the masks. What are your thoughts on businesses that require you to wear a mask? 50% say I'll happily wear a mask. 50% 50% say I'll go somewhere else. No votes yet for I'll begrudgingly wear a mask at cjob.com. But on Twitter, at 680cjob, we do have a handful of votes for I'll begrudgingly wear it. 72% say I'll happily wear it. 17% say I'll go somewhere else. 11% say I'll begrudgingly wear a mask. So cast your vote at cjob.com. Loren, if you went to a business and they said, hey, you got to wear a mask to come in, would you have a problem with that? No, uh, we have them in the glove compartment for that reason. If if that happens to be the case, uh, I, part of me, I, like I'm, a, I have two schools of thoughts about this. Part of me just wishes that was the rule for businesses, and so that we become, you know, not just this al carte thing, but that's the norm. Put on your mask if you're going to go to a store, and then everybody would have to kind of do the same thing, just for the foreseeable future. Hopefully, not a permanent thing. On the other hand, I have seen some cases where some of the people who are in masks, it's like it's this iron shield, like they're walking around like a knight and they're protected. And so I feel like that gives them a false sense of security. And in some cases, people have come too close to me. And I've wondered if it's like they think they're okay because they have a mask on and therefore aren't as worried about that social distancing in that two meters as they should be. So I don't know. I definitely wouldn't have a problem. That's their rule. And they don't want me to come in without one. Then I won't go in or I'll go put one on. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we want to talk about 
your favorite part of spring. And for me, it's when everything starts to come to life. I'm sitting on my balcony yesterday, and I look down into the courtyard of our apartment complex, and uh, there's, I think, a a row of six trees. And suddenly they've got color on them. They're like a bright sort of deep pink. And I thought, when did that happen? Because I noticed this Saturday afternoon. So it either happened Friday or Saturday. Uh, So yesterday morning I went for a walk. I went lilac hunting. Uh, I thought they were lilac, or maybe lilac trees. Turns out, well, I actually didn't know what they were. I thought maybe they were cherry blossoms. And when I posted that on my Instagram, at Brett McGarry, if you want to take a look, just beautiful flowers. I'm told it's an ornamental crab tree. Didn't know that was a thing. Doesn't matter. It's awesome. It's beautiful. So for me, that's my favorite part of spring is when all the pretty colors start to emerge. Uh, I couldn't find any lilacs, so let it. Let me know, by the way, if those have popped up. Uh, I don't know if it's time just yet. But, Greg, what's your favorite part of spring? Well, it's actually the same as yours. It's the reemergence of nature. It's unbelievable. 22 days ago... On May the 2nd, parts of Manitoba had 15 centimeters of snow on the ground. And and I've just posted a few pictures from around my yard that I took about uh, 20 minutes ago of the hosta in the front yard that I thought was completely destroyed by the rabbits in the fall. Nope, it is back uh, greener and fuller than ever. A stick that had just started growing out of an old garden bed that we had once upon a time. Well, apparently that stick is actually a tree that's growing in my yard and a picture of that crabapple blossom uh, in the yard uh, across from our back fence that just absolutely smells delicious this time of year. It is just, it's incredible how things turn around like almost like an on-off switch. We go from winter to summer in this part of the world. It's unreal. Jeff Braun, what about you, buddy? Uh, my favorite thing, honestly, is simply the fact that gearing up to go outside isn't a similar process to a NASA astronaut getting ready to be blasted into space. <laughs> I've got three layers on me right now. or I mean, not three layers, but three articles of clothing, period. Just shorts, a t-shirt, and a set of underwear, of course. And no long johns, no socks or boots to lace up. And, Tukes and gloves, the whole nine yards. You could just, uh, on a whim, just you know, walk outdoors and not have to change anything. It's awesome. Yeah, that's nice. What about you, Kelly Moore? I, you know what? I, I, all the things you guys described, like we're gardeners, so just the last couple of days, my wife Karen and I have just been marveling at how the peas and onions are just shooting up. I mean, one day you can barely see the ground crack, and the next day uh, there's a full row there. But I think one of my favorite things is firing up the lawnmower for the first time and that uh, cutting the grass for the first time. I It, it, it just seems like it's such a cool thing. It uh, uh, is the, the message that sends you that, uh, yeah, you're not going to have to worry about being frozen on your deck or your front uh, porch, uh, having a nice cold one near the end of the day uh, uh, because uh, of uh, what you guys described. It, Greg, you said May 2nd, it was that snowfall, but wasn't it even later than that, that we had minus 13 overnight as well? Oh, yeah. I think that's just been in the last two weeks that we had uh, negative temperatures. That's right, Kelly. Yeah, so those are all the things that I love about spring finally being here, guys. Loren McNabb. 
I love being barefoot, even in the winter. If there's no snow in my driveway, I'll take out the trash with my without shoes on, without socks on. Like I love, I just like the kind of the freedom of that. And so, come springtime when the grass is no longer as crunchy, for lack of a better word, you know, when it starts to soften up and had a few bit of rain or moisture on it, I love that feeling uh, with my bare feet. I'm still waiting for my favorite thing though, which is the smell after a big rain. I was really hopeful yesterday we were going to see a bit of a if not a thunderstorm, at least a heavier rain, you know, wash some of that dirt away and give that fresh, clean feeling. So I'm still waiting for that. That's my favorite part of spring when you finally get that beautiful rain. The air smells amazing and everything looks like it's it's literally coming to life before your eyes. That's what I was going to say, too. I was going to say I'm, I'm waiting for that. Well, for me, I love a big thunderstorm, you know, the booms and the lightning. And yeah, that's my favorite part. You like the thunderstorms? Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Did you? You've got a balcony that faces west. Did you notice the lightning? Was it Saturday night? Or well, Friday actually, night? on on Friday night, well, it was like two o'clock in the morning or something like that, and I saw lightning out in the distance. And then Saturday, saw some lightning closer. Uh, but yeah, you know, there hasn't been a good. Well, at least I haven't experienced one yet, where it's booming right above me. And yeah, it's it's like a good show. Although the the, the downside of that is when you're trying to sleep. And if there's a lightning blast that's not too far from your home, it, like doesn't it sound like a bomb going off in your bedroom, Forte? Yeah, but uh, I seem to sleep through it. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll wake up. I'll wake up for like the slightest things, or like you know, sometimes I'll drool. And I could feel my drool, and they'll wake me up. But yeah. <laughs> The thunder can go, and I'll, I'll sleep right through it. I, I love how that's your favorite thing, and then you sleep through the thunderstorm. That's enjoyable. It I was wondering if I was the only one noticing that. Uh, text message at 204-780-6868 saying, The flora and fauna are my faves about spring. Also, the return of birds singing early mornings. Another cool thing about spring, too, this is that kind of nice time of year where none of the the bugs have really... I mean, I know mosquitoes apparently are starting to emerge, but we don't have the cankerworms yet. We don't have the caterpillars. We don't have the mosquitoes. I haven't seen any wasps. (laughs) Just bumblebees, which are, you know, they're they're just these fuzzy little things, and they're fun to watch. Uh, So it's that kind of magic time where it's nice enough you can go outside and not worry about some sort of infestation. When it comes to neighborhoods like the Exchange District, Greg, and Osborne Village, I think one of the reasons why people enjoy them so much, one, just one of the reasons, is the restaurants, the cool restaurants in those neighborhoods. But the list of restaurants permanently closing their doors in Winnipeg, in part due to COVID-19, sadly is growing. Yeah, in the past, you just go to those neighborhoods, right? Let's go grab a bite to eat. Where do you want to go? Well, let's see where we can get in. And the owners of Stella's in Osborne Village will not be reopening, a very popular place once upon a time. In an Instagram post, its owner said, unfortunately, due to the declining commerce and foot traffic in Osborne Village, along with the current pandemic, it is time to make this difficult announcement. The decision impacts about a dozen staff members, Loren. Yeah, and then in the exchange, as you referenced, Brett Hermanos has decided it's closing its doors for goods. But its owners say they plan to run a business together. It just will have nothing to do with food. So Noel Bernier is one of the co-owners of the Bannatine Avenue restaurant and joins us now. Good morning, Noel. Good morning. How are you today? We're good. Uh, and, and thank you for coming on. I know that was a difficult decision. I can only imagine all the um, lengths you went to and conversations you must have had in hopes of staying open. Can you just walk us through a bit about what was sort of... Uh, the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, when it comes to why you decided to close? 
Yeah, and uh, it was very wise or a very fair thing to say that there's a combination of reasons and COVID just being sort of that final thing. But in our case, it was uh, the construction season of 2018 really put a, um, a hurt on a lot of the businesses in the East Exchange. And we were still pretty fragile from that time when COVID hit. And as we went through COVID and trying to, you know, we, 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 we shifted the takeout. We tried to see how this would evolve. <clears throat> What became clear to us was that there was a reopening plan for restaurants, but there was no, there's still no discussion or reopening talk at all for large events. So theater shows, uh, concerts at the arena, and those were really the lifeblood of our sales. So COVID caused our sales to drop by over 95% at Hermanos and, and with no discussion even on the table when those large events would return we just felt it was just no other choice but to other uh, to move on to other things we hear all the time how thin the margins are in the restaurant industry in your facebook post you also mentioned recent you talked about the construction in the area how it uh, impacted foot traffic but covid being the final nail so to speak but you also uh do you not you have two other restaurants no no i um after the construction season of 2018 I actually, my partner and I went on a, uh, made a, a dedicated effort to get out of the restaurant business, except for Hermanos on Bannatyne, in an effort to save that restaurant after that construction season. So we uh, we sold our shares in Salisbury House and closed the Sherbrooke Street Deli and Hermanos South. And again, at that time, it was all in a reaction to the trauma from the construction season of the 2018. We had about five months where our revenue was reduced by 80%. And restaurant businesses are on such thin margins that when that kind of a trauma happens to their sales, it's not that they they can just reopen and be normal. There's a tremendous amount of cost that piles up during that period of time. And so sometimes it can take years to recover from a period like that. Noel, I've often told the story, uh, even on the air, about the the time I closed a restaurant I was managing a few hours early because of a power outage, and our area manager went up one side of me and down the other and gave me a real education as to how thin the margins are, and that's for a chain restaurant where you've got the power of multiple stores working together, but when you talk about location, 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 uh, I was intrigued by the, the whole notion that your location is so dependent on big events and, and things at MTC at the concert hall, etc. So people sometimes don't realize what the, what the reason that, that, that you locate a business in a certain neighborhood for. And I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about that with regards to Hermanos. Yeah, no, Hermanos wasn't an accident. Um, you know, we, we had a very thorough plan for who our audience was going to be because it, it is a very small neighborhood. The East exchange only has a few hundred residents and it has a huge number of restaurants. So uh, you, you need to have the city come together to be successful there. And, uh, and our two target audiences were downtown business workers for lunch and the big event theater in particular, right beside MTC. And um, again, the big events aren't coming back, but also there's another dynamic where, um, you know, the workforce that, that was really a part of our lunch business, they're, the, they're going to be the last ones to come back to work. You know, we're learning that, so many people can work remotely. It's becoming a new norm for, for many positions. So what that means is you have far less people congregating in workspaces in the downtown area. Yeah, and when you're relying on that foot traffic, then that becomes part of the problem. The layer of the construction impacting foot traffic two years ago and then 
the lack of it now. No one's just popping in for their lunch or a drink or other, particularly if there's social distancing rules attached to that. So you you talked in your post to your staff that you're not done in the business world. You're just done with potentially the restaurant world. So where's the shift going to happen? What are you doing next? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. It, uh, and it's really, uh, I, I, I had somebody, I just have to say, I had somebody say uh, to me yesterday, they were impressed with our resilience to do it. I said, well, it's kind of out of necessity. <laughs> you know, the, the restaurant business left us, uh, it really, uh, it was a hard exit out of it. So, but what that brought us into was looking at the realities of, of what was going on around us about a year ago. So I started to do some other business and uh, <clears throat> one of them was a brokerage business in the U.S. and it led me to relationships in recent weeks that can access, uh, you know, PPE, everything from N95 masks to ventilators to gowns and sanitizers. And so there's a lot of people or there's a lot of activity sort of brokering of those things, looking for large sales to governments and large institutions. But what my partner and I realized is that there's really very few people, if any, out there talking to small businesses and helping them get what they need and talking to, uh, you know, small organizations and getting what they need. And of course, my business partner, he's uh, in this business. I have two of them. Um, Josh Giesbrecht is from uh, Rosa River First Nation, and, and he identified right away that this is a huge need also in First Nations communities. And so we decided to take our business to that right to the ground level. Uh, we've got 10 salespeople right now. And, um, and yeah, so we're, it's a hard, it's hard always to give up on something you put so much effort into, but being involved in a business that is, um, very timely, it's needed. And also we know it's not permanent. You know, we, we, we have this feeling like, um, like we're doing something, uh, you know, to be a part of, of, of helping manage this, but we still look forward to a day when we don't have to be in the business. When will you be able to start bringing some of this stuff in? Yes, we uh, we're just opening our office this week, and so we're we're literally right on that uh, right on that beginning phase. But our first products will start arriving in about three weeks, and so our our big proposition to people from what we've seen in this industry is that we've been very lucky, and as we've studied, uh, I shouldn't say lucky, we've, we've done very well here in Manitoba, and so we've had a very low rate of infection, and we we haven't been impacted. However, there, <clears throat> there's always waves with these things. And what we've seen in other jurisdictions is if people wait until that time comes to get what they need, it's really difficult and it causes a lot of chaos and pricing goes through the roof. So our proposition to our, our small business customers, to the people who we're dealing with, is to say, hey, plan ahead. That's how you win with this thing. You know, So if, it, if the experts are saying the fall time is, is going to be a time to watch for a spike in cases or there's potentially second waves. We're, we're saying to the to our customers, order now, plan ahead, it'll keep your costs low, and you'll be ready for it when it hits. Well, Bernier, one of the co-owners of the Bannertine Avenue restaurant, Hermanos, which announced last week that it is closing. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us, and uh, good luck with your new venture. Yeah, and uh, I just want to say thank you to all of our customers and all of Winnipeg. We're so grateful for the support we got over the last decade. Have a great day, everyone. We start this hour with the Winnipeg Police Service, who had an exceptionally busy 24-hour period on the weekend. Police say from Saturday morning until Sunday morning, they had 14, count them, 14 reports of gunfire and multiple stabbing calls to attend, Greg. 
Yeah, it started on Saturday at 10.55 a.m. with a woman stabbed on Pacific Avenue. She was taken to hospital in critical condition but has since been stabilized. A female was arrested and charged with aggravated assault. At 3.15 p.m., officers responded to a report of gunshots on Bannatyne Avenue. At 8.20 p.m., officers responded to the area of Sargent Avenue and Furby Street for a male that had been shot. At 9.55 p.m., officers responded to a report of gunshots on Dufferin Avenue. An hour later, at 10.55, officers responded to a report of a male spotted with a gun on Sutton Avenue. Loren, that sounds as though it would be a fairly busy night just on its own, but there was more. No, it didn't end there. After 11 o'clock on Saturday, there was a call for a man that had been stabbed in the 500 block at Portage Avenue. That man is recovering in hospital. Then at 1.45 a.m. Sunday, there was another stabbing, this one on Mountain Avenue, and that victim is again in hospital, and there was actually an arrest made in this case. Then around 1.50 a.m. Sunday, a man had been stabbed on Logan Avenue, and the victim again in hospital. Investigations into most of these incidents continue. Just a few detainments or arrests made so far. And again, this is all in a 24-hour period with 14 reports of gunfire and multiple stabbings. Constable Rob Carver from the Winnipeg Police Service joins us now. Good morning, Constable Carver. Good morning. You had put in the news release, you called it an exceptionally busy weekend. I'm wondering when you look back and you consider the amount of gun gun violence, the gunfire, the gunplay, what other adjective you might use to describe this, this kind of weekend? Well, our officers uh, um, are trained, of course, to go to gun calls. And while it's uh, while it's shocking for citizens, our officers do this as part of their their duties. I, I think, as a citizen of Winnipeg, it's um, it's a little overwhelming to see a report like this. Uh, part of the message here is, of course, that these types of incidents are all very resource intensive. Uh, we need to uh, uh, make sure a scene is safe, guard the scene, collect evidence. Uh, determine uh, the safety of a victim, uh, determine witnesses, interview those witnesses. It requires a lot of units at each scene. And what that means is they're not available for other calls. We had um, we had a bit of a, a backlog of 911 uh, calls waiting for dispatch. We, of course, triage 911 calls. So if, uh, if someone is uh, facing physical injury, that's way higher priority than if someone has uh, say uh, broken into your garage and you you're watching them as you, you know, run away as you call 911. That's a, a much lower priority call in terms of threat to your life or even your property since they've left. Um, unfortunately, the lower priority ones had to wait a while. And, and I think the other uh, takeaway here is that um, while the actual snapshot was uh, was startling, that. In each one of these cases, um, these weren't random. Uh, people either knew each other where a uh, where an altercation occurred. Um, stunning, I think, that for most people, that a, that a gun or a knife would be produced in a, an altercation between two people that know each other. And in others, they were groups that were known to each other, and there might have been some underlying, or there, there was some underlying element of, of criminal activity. So these aren't random events affecting you know people out on a, on a Saturday evening. These are um, crimes amongst people where either they know each other or um, where there's a criminal element. 
Constable, do you think we take a, a little bit of comfort in that notion? Uh, sometimes it's the geography when we hear about an incident and when we hear that it's uh, nowhere near where we live, we, we sort of, our, our, our shoulders slump down and it's like, okay, I don't really have to pay attention to that. And then that, that, that second element that you just outlined there, that idea that the assailant and the victims are known to one another, does that, does that make uh, police and, and should that make the public a little bit more comfortable with what's gone on as, as, as dramatic and trying as it, as it sounds as though that 24 hour period was from, from Saturday to Sunday. Well, first of all, I think there's a difference between, uh, between edge weapon violence and gun violence. If, if somebody, if there's two parties having an assault uh, or having a fight and somebody pulls out a knife, the damage is, uh, you know, the risk is limited uh, to that group. The problem becomes with, with incidents revolving guns. Um, uh, once you've got a gun out in public and somebody's shooting it off, there's always a risk that, that an innocent bystander uh, could be accidentally hit, uh, an unintended target. So, so there's a difference. I still think there is some, some uh, level of, um, uh, I'm not sure, I don't want to say comfort, but uh, when it's between parties that know each other, it's a different threat profile than if it's uh, random violence. Unfortunately, when, when we do a, an overview like this, we're looking at violence across the city. It, it spans a lot of areas. I, I think it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a picture of Winnipeg that can't be uh, walked away from. Whether, whether you're at risk and your family's at risk or not, that's, this is a lot of stuff going on. And, and it means that, that, that you know, we're facing a violent weekend in the city. And whether or not it's you directly, um, you know, that's, that's part of the narrative here. Constable Rob Carver from the Winnipeg Police Service joining us live on 680 CJOB. I'm going to have to leave it there, Constable. Thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated, sir. You're welcome. Sean Jeffrey is the Executive Director, Manitoba Restaurant and Food Services Association. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, we appreciate it, and uh, you know, normally we like to speak to you under better circumstances, but you know, the situation is such that we need to get your opinion on this and and your inside knowledge. How bad is the damage to date? Uh, we do know, or do you know, how many restaurants have closed to this point, uh, other than the ones we've seen in the headlines? Well, unfortunately, we're at a situation right now where it's uh, rapidly expanding on a daily basis. So, just to put it in perspective. Uh, uh, I look at the restaurants that uh, my wife, who and I have been married for just shy of 10 years here, um, the ones that where we went on our first date and that restaurant is closed. You look at the places that I go for my birthday, restaurant is now closed. The place I used to go for our first anniversary, that restaurant is now closed. So we're in a troubled time right now. This is, uh, you know, this is a, a dire situation where restaurants, uh, um, COVID is just one challenge that uh, is specifically causing issues within the industry itself, and it's just compounding to the uh, other challenges that restaurants have been dealing with for for times now. Well, a long we, time. Yeah, but like we know, for many restaurants, COVID is not the only thing to blame. Hermanos pointed to that construction in 2018 that really hurt them. Stella is pointing to changing foot traffic in Osborne Village. So, what does that tell us about the struggle to stay ahead in the restaurant game? It just it just really points out uh, the challenges that we deal with on a daily basis. Uh, the industry itself is uh, has got low margins and uh, very low profit margins. So when a restaurant has uh, significant challenges that these specific restaurants and all restaurants face on a daily basis, 
when you take something into can, into realistic here of, of what we've had to deal with during the pandemic is that, you know, a lot of these restaurants are having to make tough decisions and, uh, um, you know, make decisions if their long term viability is going to be uh, is going to be realistic or not. And uh, if they're continuing to want to stay in the restaurant business. And unfortunately, that's uh, that's quite sad. You know, in our conversations with Noel Bernier, the co-owner of Hermanos, it's, I stopped to think for a second about really how the very look, the fabric of our neighborhoods could really be changing over the next few months. And restaurants are such a key part of the colorful and vibrant part of any community. And if you take the downtown, for example, and there's now many office workers working from home who might choose to continue working from home. So it's not just about getting through the pandemic. It's about, well, what will be the leftovers of this pandemic, like fewer people in some neighborhoods who might not need to go for lunch from the office because they're, the office is their home. So, Sean, that's got to raise all Absolutely. sorts of questions for the future yeah you know what it's the restaurants are a special occasion experience right so you go to a restaurant to to enjoy experience you know go out for a fun night food and drink with family and friends and and that might be at you know after work or that might be on a birthday or that might be because you're going to mtc or that might be because you're you know you have time after your kid's soccer game it's but it really is. It's a you know, unfortunately, when you take a lot of these um, these events out of the picture, especially in the Exchange District, and uh, and look, Hermanos is one of my favorite restaurants. So this is personally hitting me on a personal nature. And um, you know, when you look at these kind of things and what these uh, operators have to deal with, um, you know, it's it really does make a significant impact on what their viability for the future looks like. And um, right now, with uh, you know, we don't even know when restaurants are going to be allowed to be open. Never mind uh, large gatherings like uh, the theater or concerts or so forth. So these these restaurant owners are at the point, you know, close to three months of uh, of being at low or no revenue. They're having to make tough decisions, and we're going to see more and more of these restaurants, unfortunately, have to make these tough decisions over the uh, the short time frame here. About 25 years ago, I had to make a decision to close a restaurant that I owned. I employed a handful of people and had to tell them of my decision, Sean. And I remember phoning a woman who had 40 people coming for her son's birthday for a reservation the day after we closed. And that was a difficult discussion because they were coming for something special, something that they felt that they provided. But we were in a situation where our lease was just, it was just too much. It hung over our head. How much of what we're seeing right now has to do with the relationship between restaurant operators and, and, and those people who are leasing out uh, space to them? Well, obviously, we haven't got any sort of rental assist program. We're just able to apply for that this week now. And obviously, restaurants are heading into their third month of lower no revenue where they've had to pay commercial rent. So um, that program has been significantly delayed um, and uh, can be quite cumbersome to apply for. So, And unfortunately, with commercial landlords having to be the one that applies for that, it's not going to be, uh, it's not significantly impacted or making as much of an impact as we thought it might be. So, um, you know, again, as a restaurant that's uh, working at 20% or less of their revenue, and that's if they're using delivery and takeout, um, you know, it's it's very hard to make the bills when you're only working on 20% of your revenues. No business can make a go of it at that, at that rate. And with uh, 50% capacity, um, you know, we've made it quite clear and mentioned very many times that restaurants cannot survive on 50% of their capacity. This is why we're um, you know, really trying to move forward, uh, you know, sooner than later of, of when we can get to that point, because there are still a lot of owners out there that are having to or on that balancing act right now, if they're going to be making those tough decisions to stay open or not. And just before we let you go here, Sean, I guess maybe is there anything good uh, that we've that you've learned from this or that restaurants can learn from what we've gone through the last few months? 
You know, what? one thing I will have to say is that our industry um, and uh, and our customers, you know, I am so proud of Manitobans and how they've come to the table to help support restaurants during this time. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of uncertainty with uh, not just restaurant operators, but with the public and on what they've had to face challenges and financial hardships through this time. So um, we're very proud of Manitobans and how they came to the table and supported our, you know, our restaurants, whether it be take and bake options or, or takeout or delivery or food on the curb or whatever we needed to do to keep your local restaurant open. So we, we say thank you to Manitobans and please, once our restaurants open up, please, if you can, if you have the means, please come out and support your family or local restaurant because we need you right now. want to continue the conversation on bikes as major cities around the world are making moves to ensure an increasing number of people returning to work have convenient and safe options to travel to their workplace. For an increasing number of cities, that includes a massive overhaul of street systems to include more room for pedestrians and cyclists. Yeah, some of that work is happening overnight in some cases, uh, Brett. As New York City braces for the reopening of Wall Street tomorrow, today is Memorial Day in the United States. Mayor of New York, uh, Mike de Blasio, is encouraging New Yorkers not to use public transportation. In London, England, they've largely banned cars from the city centre as a way to allow pedestrians and cyclists the room they need to make their way to work safely with physical distancing in mind. And here's the headline from the Globe and Mail from over the weekend. Canadian cities prove reluctant to encourage cycling as alternative to crowded transit. Oliver Moore, urban affairs reporter at the Globe and Mail, wrote this in part, and uh, with mass transit posing health concerns for many during the pandemic, self-cycling, pardon me, has emerged in cities as diverse as Berlin, Sydney, and Bogota as a key way to prevent these people from switching to a car. Supporters note that cycling is faster than walking and less crowded than transit and argue that while it will never be suitable for everyone, it has the potential to work for a meaningful number of people, Loren. They're referencing countries and cities like Berlin and Sydney uh, in that article. So we want to ask about the Canadian equation and specifically Winnipeg. Are bicycles a genuine transportation option for those who are returning to work? Those who might be currently working at home but thinking about getting back to work or just looking to get back into cycling. Andrew Swanson is the chair of Canada Bikes. He also runs Winnipeg's Trail Association and joins us now. Good morning, Anders. Good morning. It's an interesting trend we're seeing in some countries around the world. Do you think Canadian cities are moving quickly enough to allow cycling to be part of this transportation equation for people in the next phase of this pandemic? Uh, you know, not if you were used to riding the bus every day to work. You're not. They're not. Um, for sure. I think. I, I think it comes down to um, thinking about um, yourself as what, if you drive a car or if you ride the bus. Um, what do you want to see in front of you uh, as we open up back up or, or God forbid, we go through a second phase? Do you want to see um, uh, more cars in front of you? Uh, do you want to ride that bus uh, that's packed with people? Um, or do you want a reliable way of, of, of getting to work um, that gets you healthy? So, uh, yeah, Canada has been pretty disappointing, but there are some pretty amazing, though, um, stories of Canadian cities that have done really well. Like what? Montreal is um, uh, actually moving incredibly quickly. So um, Valerie Plant uh, last week announced 320 kilometers of new active transportation facilities that were going to go in in a matter of weeks. 
And uh, last I checked, they were putting in 50 in the first two weeks. So 50 kilometers is a lot of um, uh, new, uh, of any kind of facility to add, whether it's cars or trucks or um, buses or, or bikes. And, and this is specifically for active transportation. And so I think, I think you're going to see that um, one by one cities across the country are, are going to start realizing they need to do something real quick. Anders, the city of Winnipeg has responded to a certain extent by closing off uh, some streets uh, that have been closed in the past for for Sunday yeah. bike and walking paths. They've extended that yeah. network somewhat and extended the hours. So I, I applaud them for that. But you know what the mm-hmm. pushback is here from a lot of people? It's it's climate. And people suggesting that an investment in active transportation, cycling transportation or cycling infrastructure in particular, pardon me, is a waste of money because we can only use it for six, seven, eight months of the year. Yeah, I guess so is golf then too, you know, but um, I think um, I think I actually don't think that that's the pushback. I haven't heard that. Um, first of all, people in Winnipeg don't like to talk about snow in in May, so um I don't think that is actually the pushback, and um, I, I think I think the pushback, or the only reason we haven't done it, is because we just aren't prepared to think that way properly. Um, the the work that I mean, and, and a good evidence of that is looking at the um, streets that have been uh, open to people for the last um, uh, month or so. Um, they open at eight o'clock and then they close again at 8 PM. Like what kind of transportation system opens at 8 AM? Like I'm already at work by then. Like, and I, I, I think, you know, the mayor probably is, I hope he is. Um, so if, you know, a transportation system is something that's open full time that connects and goes everywhere. It's completely safe. It's also plowed in the winter. I mean, you're asking the wrong guy. I think, I mean, I, I got stuck in Finland, um, cause I went there for a conference and I was making a film about, um, ch- children who bike to, to to school in the snow every day, and and I'm talking about an elementary school here of a thousand kids, where all the kids bike to school in the snow in February in a city that's just as cold as Winnipeg, that all it has is a network that um, is safe and comfortable, and so I mean I know that it has nothing to do with the weather, I, ha- I and I know that it has everything to do with um, city leadership, and um, this pandemic is just making it clear that we need that option because if we don't have that option. Uh, we're going to be pretty stuck. So what do we do with this info? You mentioned being uh, uh, overseas and the weather being similar. Montreal's making big changes. I would argue Montreal's winters are definitely not much warmer than Winnipeg's, and so weather's not part of the equation. You talk about leadership. So what do we do with this information, and and what doors are you banging on right now to try to get someone to pay attention? Um, I guess, uh, I don't know, do you know a door that I need to bang on? I I, I think... (laughs) I think all of them, from the federal government to the provincial government to the to, to, to individual organizations, I think there's a lot that we can all do. Um, so whether it's uh, uh, helping, for example, traffic calming on, on, on local streets and, and turning that. So this, for example, this weekend we have uh, Love 30 on 30, which is coming up, uh, organized by Safe Speeds Winnipeg, which is uh, basically a shout-out to people who want to keep their streets. Um, because a lot of people during this pandemic have, for example, had kids at home who have now learned how to b- ride a bike on the street because there was no cars. Like, like people get it. Um, uh, when, when you see fresh air uh, coming back to cities like L.A. that haven't had it for decades, it's clear what that causes. And I think in, a, in the case of a respiratory disease pandemic, um, this is a new this is a new normal. And, and that word is getting overused a lot. But um, 
it, just because cars are coming back to the street doesn't mean that that's okay um, in the numbers that we have. And so, I mean, I think that the doors that I'm banging on are basically uh, fundamentally comes down to the city of Winnipeg, though. For us, you know, for me, for at home, for my commute, for my friends, my family, my niece, uh, the city of Winnipeg needs to recognize that this is a state of emergency issue. Um, you know, that we have uh, 15% of people, we have 168,000 trips that normally get taken on the bus every day. Uh, if only 20% of those people are willing to be on the bus and, and only half of them could ever be on it in order to allow for social distancing, that means you've got hundreds of thousands of trips um, being made by people who either don't want to be there or who need an alternative. And I think we need to start looking at that scale now so that if this comes back, we're ready, and also for the people that we expect to be going back to work, because you can't just open up transportation systems when you're down one. You need a plan. Andrew Swanson is the chair of Canada Bikes, also runs Winnipeg's Trails Association. And Andrew, for the city, it could potentially be a case of you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, because they put in those bike lanes in the exchange district, and what ended up happening? Businesses got hurt, people are complaining, they can't find parking, uh, so they, the, the people who ride the bike benefit, but then there's, there's a sort of a negative effect that resulted as well. Yeah, that you know, it's that's a bit of scapegoating, that kind of thing, and... Um... Uh, I listened to what a lot of those businesses said and what it came down to was actually speed, ironically, was that the fact that the construction of some of that stuff took so long and it was not just bike lanes, it was sewers, it was a bunch of things that happened at the same time. Um, and, and I heard that loud and clear. I heard a lot of them voice support actually for active transportation and a lot of them had um, real concerns about the speed with, it, with, with, with which it was done. So, I mean, we're talking here about moving as quickly as possible to provide an option. And when you're talking about um, the alternatives, like transportation planning isn't like a game. Like it doesn't come down to um, like vague notions like this. Like it comes down to um, pure numbers. And at some point, cities need to make decisions of what the future lies. So if you've got 15% of people on on, on transit, uh, you have to increase the number uh, of buses so that people can socially distance or you and or you need to provide them with options and I think you need to do both and um, you need to do it quickly as possible before that transition happens because I'll tell you what there's no more room for cars in the exchange there's no more room for cars in the downtown period it just at some point um, uh, something has to give and uh, you know you see Obi Khan for example today talking in the news about uh, the difficulties his uh, uh, place is having opening up in the exchange district, but he nailed it on the head. He 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 said his business relies on foot foot traffic, you know, and it's the foot traffic, it's the 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 people out your front door. That's what matters. And the most efficient way to get people around is actually by those modes. And and every city across North America and every city around the world knows it. That's why that's why they're all doing it. Quite frankly, I mean it's. Uh, um, like I think if you're driving a car, you got to realize that anybody who's not on a bus or not biking or not walking is another car in front of you. And that car is six feet wide, uh, 10 feet long, and usually has one person in it. So when you try and move those through a city, it ain't easy. Andrew Swanson, chair of Canada Bikes, also runs Winnipeg's Trails Association, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Anders, thank you for the time. Much appreciated, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. See you all out on the trails. It's a lot of fun. 
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.